The Future of Finance is Here podcast looks at the changing landscape of the Australian finance industry. Our industry is financing Australia's future, a future that will be driven by access and choice for consumers, embracing innovation and competition, and generating greater economic and therefore social participation for all Australians. AFIA CEO Diane Tate talks to industry leaders and extraordinary individuals about their experiences, good and bad, and how those experiences have shaped and continue to shape their contribution to our industry and Australia. Hello, and welcome to The Future of Finance is Here, AFIA's inaugural podcast series. Today, we'll be discussing how leaders and organisations within the financial services industry manoeuvre the current environment, let go of old assumptions, create opportunities and competitive advantage, while confronting the small and large challenges within and around their businesses. Our guests will share their stories and insights into the strategies of their business, their successes operating against some of the perceptions of a monopolised industry, and how they truly stood on their own. Today, we're joined by Joseph Healy, CEO and co-founder of Judo Bank. Judo Bank is one of Australia's quickest emerging challenger banks focused on the SME market. We're also joined by James Boyle, CEO of Liberty. Liberty is one of Australia's most free-thinking and innovative lenders. James and Joseph are both here to offer their unique perspectives on what it takes to differentiate from their competitors. Hello, and welcome to you both. Thanks, Di. Great to be here. Thanks a lot. So, Joseph, first to you. What is in a name? What was with Judo Bank? How did you come up with that? Well, it's a great question. So, the name Judo reflects the strategy of the bank. Um, so, when we were crafting the strategy, uh, we, you know, obviously we saw a market dominated by giants, a highly profitable market, um, but a market with barriers to entry and, 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 and uh, uh, you know, a sense that it was going to be challenging to take on major incumbents. But the strategy was based on what were called the seven principles of Judo strategy, which people can, can Google and, and read. It's very interesting. In essence, it's how the new small new entrant coming into a market dominated by giants uses the size and slow-moving, cumbersome nature of the, these bureaucratic institutions uh, and through agility, fast-moving uh, and smart moods can topple or outsmart and take um, points or market share away from the incumbents. So is this about outwitting the big banks then? It's outwitting them. It's going after the soft underbelly. It's going into places where they, they can't move fast enough. Um, it's you know it's just, it's being nimble, making it very difficult for them to pin you down, and then taking them by surprise with uh, and trying to topple them in certain parts of the marketplace. And James, can you share with us your experience in finding your place in a complex and competitive marketplace? And what does free thinking loans mean? You know, we started our journey 23 years ago doing something that no other organization had done in Australia at that time. So what we did was we unlocked the dream of home ownership for borrowers that had previously been locked out of the home lending market by lending to people that banks were not prepared to. And it wasn't that others weren't lending to those particular customers at the time. It's that no one else was no one else was accessing debt capital markets and doing it in a way that was really sustainable and really achievable for so many Australians. So this concept of free thinking goes all the way back to you know our very first steps back in 1997 when we entered the market with what we called then a non-conforming home loan 
and we built some fame and some reputation as pioneers. And back then we talked about being, you know, where to go when the banks say no. So it was really this concept of financial inclusion, helping people aspire to lead and live better lives using financial products and really helping people that the mainstream providers weren't doing a particularly good job of servicing. So then if we fast forward 23 years, today we've taken that same free thinking approach and applied it in so many more ways in so many more markets. So today, as a financial services group, we do home loans and car loans and unsecured personal loans. We do secured SME loans and unsecured SME loans. We lend to self-managed super funds. We have a couple of insurance businesses. We have a couple of distribution businesses. So we really operate right across the broader financial services space and we help more customers. So we don't just help customers that mainstream providers are not well equipped to or unable to, but we compete with the mainstream providers as well and help everyday customers who might otherwise choose to go to a bank. And we've been able to do that. We've been able to build that range of solutions and that method of helping customers by embracing this free thinking philosophy of not being shackled to the traditional methods of other organizations and not being inhibited by the mainstream and really pushing ourselves to understand the customer's unique circumstances and help them achieve their ambitions through you know, good financial products. So you've both just talked very clearly and passionately. I mean, what is your view on the competition and innovation environment in financial services? So I would start the question by saying that we have one of the most profitable banking and finance systems in the world. And, and that's notwithstanding the events of the last 12 to 18 months. Highly, highly profitable. And I think when you think about competition, you've got to look at different segments of the market. I would say that in the consumer segment, when you think about mortgages, for example, it's price competition. And at the large corporate market where there are international banks and capital markets, there's quite a bit of competition there. But in the, the heart of the economy, which I describe the SME economy to be, there's uh, what I would call very weak forms of competition. What we saw after the GFC with the um, consolidation of Bank West and, and St. George and the exit of some of the foreign banks was, uh, I think, a consolidation that was hugely detrimental to competition and particularly to, uh, to the SME economy. So I'm a big fan of greater competition in the, in the industry, particularly in small to mid-sized businesses where the big banks have just got far too much power and offer a very ordinary service proposition to, to the SME economy. On the question of innovation, I think we're seeing a significant development in innovation. I mean, I, I hate thinking about the good things that come out of COVID because it's been such a human tragedy, but it, ha it has fast-tracked the development and the thinking and the habits around uh, digitalization. Consumers, for example, and, and small businesses that were resistant to the application of digital technology in their business and how they engage with the banks were kind of forced into doing that. And I think habits have now been default formed. Uh, they also, we've seen a, a global emergence in the fintech community and some hugely important innovations. I, I, I like providing the example of um, foreign currency transfers. If you're transferring money to friends and family overseas. Uh, in the past, you'd go to your bank and, and get, a, get a rate, which was never a competitive rate. Whereas today now you can 
you can use any number of um, apps and, and very well set up businesses to get highly competitive rates, very transparent on rates and fees. And, and that has been hugely empowering for customers. And I, I see that, that innovation being a huge feature of the next number of years, partly motivated by the entrance into the market of new players um, and fintechs and neobanks, but also the major banks trying to kind of get their act together. It's going to be a big challenge for them because you're, you're not just dealing with legacy technologies, you're dealing with legacy culture, legacy processes, legacy management thinking, you're dealing with organizations that quite can be quite short term in the way that they think about things when you know transforming businesses and transforming the economy is a long term play, not a short term play. And James, your thoughts? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think to understand it well, you've got to go back a long way. I mean, you've got to go back over 30 years. I think it was Prime Minister Keating, it might have been Treasurer Keating, who implemented the four pillars that has famously been the bedrock of Australia's financial services system. And, you know, you have to compliment Keating for his foresight in doing that because it certainly led to us having what is worldwide regarded as an unquestionably strong financial system in Australia. So that's a positive, right? It's a positive that we've got four pillars that ultimately drive this really strong financial sector. But it's not all positive because if there's any criticism that's made over the years about this approach, it's that it's not good for competition, that effectively you've, you've structurally embedded a monopoly or an oligopoly where four players, four banks are dominating the financial services landscape and that's not good for competition. But what I would say is you have to applaud the various governments that we've seen since the Keating government and in particular our regulators in the case of both APRA and RBA because they have been ever mindful of that tension. And so what we have found in our journey is that there's been lots of space in between the pillars for lots of innovation and competition. And I'd go one step further and I don't know, Joseph might agree with me on this. I certainly think he will. I think that there's been a lot of opportunity for small players to get in and drive the innovation and the competition in between the four banks. And that's actually been the heart of innovation and competition in financial services. So, so I would say that Australian consumers of financial products are better served today because of the many other organisations that exist outside the four banks, really in many ways, keeping those banks honest by driving healthy competition, by driving innovation, by striving to put their customers first and really do something in a differentiated way, which I know is exactly what we've been trying to do at Liberty with our free thinking approach for 23 years. And I understand exactly what Joseph and the judo team are doing as well. In terms of creating competitive advantage, you know, you talked about some of the kind of structural issues in the industry and sort of the multifaceted nature of the industry, how it's constantly changing. But, you know, what's the secret ingredient? Surely it's more than just, you know, cost leadership, product differentiation, growth focus. You know, what's the silver bullet, James? Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's the question that perplexes us the most for the longest, right? There's no permanent answer to this, I think, is the reality. There are three, three things that we concentrate on internally to try and keep ourselves really sharp and consistently driving that free thinking approach and better customer outcomes. It's unsurprising that the first of those is the customer. It's really, really important that we stay connected to, focused on observing our customers. You know, we know internally that the wow factor of today is the minimum expectation of tomorrow and that that frontier 
is moving quicker and changing faster than it ever has before in our world generally. And that applies to financial services just as much as it applies elsewhere. So we really take the time to make sure that we're measuring, objectively measuring how well we're doing that particular part of our business for our customers. You know, we do net promoter scores and customer satisfaction surveys and really, you know, try to lean into that with curious minds to understand what it is our customers want from us and how we can better deliver it. So that's the first. The second is the team. It's a people business and we're so proud of our team here at Libby. They're just a phenomenal group of really passionate team members who really believe in what it is that we're seeking to do which is helping more people get financial. You know, at the heart of what we do, it's about providing that help to help people lead better lives using finance. And then the last one is just accepting that it's never going to stay static, that it's never going to be the same. And to combat that reality, we put a big emphasis on learning. And we say to our entire team, learning's the secret superpower that can really combat the change that all of us are having to deal with every day and all of our customers are having to deal with every day. So, you know, if I had to synthesize it down to three things, I'd say focus on the customer, make sure your team is as strong as it can possibly be, and accept that you're going to have to learn your way forward. So talking about the drivers in financial services, I mean, technology is a big one, obviously. Some would argue that tech and finance have always been two sides of the same coin. I mean, remember when ATMs were pretty sexy? So tell me, what is the importance of tech to liberty? Look, it's hugely important and we've been investing in it for our entire journey. The stack that we run is all our own. We've got a team of nearly 50 in our tech area and vast majority of software developers. We've won lots and lots of awards in this space. But I think it's important to recognize that it's an enabler, not a solution in and of itself. It's all for nothing if you can't work out how to deliver those fantastic outcomes for your customers because technology for technology's sake or even technology just for finance sake doesn't wow anybody. Once one of our stakeholders in the not too distant past said to me, you know, please don't describe yourself as a fintech because I think in many ways it takes you back 20 years instead of forward five. And I think that's right. You know, we're a bit bigger and and have a better reach than maybe some that are starting up now and doing fantastic work. And I think I'm so happy as a stakeholder of our financial services industry to see all of the vibrant creativity that comes out of that fintech area of our particular sector. And we stay really, really, really close to it as well. But for us, it's about the customer first and technology is a means to make sure that we get that right. And James, you talked before about purpose of liberty. Some of the vision statements of the banks, you know, go to their privileged position in society. And, you know, we've seen the term funding facility through the Reserve Bank, you know, serve into the the bigger end of the market, the ADI market, and do that well. And in fact, you talked about the pros and cons of four pillars. And one of the pros at the moment is that ability to be able to get into that part of the funding structures of our economy. Liberty is not a bank, but there is expectations across the community about financial services generally. How do you encounter and deal with expectations around your business being like a bank but not a bank? Is that a challenge for you or is that one of those grand opportunities that you have? Yeah, it's both, isn't it? I mean, we embrace it and we recognize it as well. That's really important. So the purpose that our team are bound behind is helping more people get financial. And that sounds really sort of short and simple and sweet in contrast to some of the sort of purpose and vision statements of the bank's which I know get ultimately to the same thing. They may be a little longer in their wording. What I find is for our team, it's the help. 
that resonates, right? It's this recognition that when it comes to our engagement with our customers, we're the ones who are coming with the experience and with the knowledge and with the capital and with all of the understanding of what financial products can do. And we need to consistently hold ourselves to a really high standard, to a high account in making sure that in the way that we engage with our customers, we're taking that very seriously. 23 years ago, we didn't use the same words, but right from the get-go, we pushed ourselves to say, what benefit is the customer deriving from this service that we're providing them? And if we can't be really clear on that, we shouldn't provide it. And I think that same theme flows through till today. So I think we are all on notice. I think that the advent of the Hain Royal Commission was essentially a run of 28 years of economic expansion, which coincided with this four pillars policy, where you saw the banks become sort of financial service conglomerates and start to be wealth businesses and insurance businesses and banking businesses and become very, very big businesses and in many ways, very, very successful. But the consequence, not through any ill intent, it was never through ill intent of that, I'm quite sure, or in the vast majority was not through any ill intent. But what we saw in the Royal Commission was that we just didn't get it right as an industry, that we weren't putting the customer first often enough and that there was lots of circumstances where, unfortunately, that consciousness that we were here to help and that we needed to hold ourselves to a high standard had been lost. And so as an industry, we were all put on notice. Now, I'd like to think and say that for our 23 years, we've acted that way. And perhaps it's certainly true to say as a smaller business, it's probably a little easier to get it right more often than, than wrong because you don't have these great big hordes of people all with good intention, but without the ability to communicate and be really clear on what your values are. So maybe for us, it was a little easier than for the bigger institutions, but there is no question that we recognize that we are all here to get good outcomes for our customers and that we won't be successful either as an industry or as individual organizations if we don't consistently do that. I think that's a really important consideration, James. Now, Joseph, can you tell me what it's like to be a unicorn? I mean, what is a unicorn in the context of Judo Bank? Come on. And are your competitors really looking at you and your organization in a different way now? (laughs) Well, on the question of a unicorn, a unicorn is a label given to new businesses or startups that achieve a valuation of a billion dollars or above. So, And we we achieved that just under a year ago. but it's, you know, we didn't, we don't focus on that. I mean, these valuations are what the market will give to you. Um, and they're a byproduct of you doing something really well. Um, and so in our case, building a bank from a PowerPoint three and a half, four years ago, now located in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth and Adelaide, um, specializing in SMEs only. And I, and I think, and getting to profitability also, you know, from, a, from a standing start. So I think the market sees a lot of growth um, in in judo, and hence the valuation that it's uh, given to judo, which you know we're very happy with. But we don't spend a lot of time focusing on that. What we do focus on is is executing on our strategy. On the question of other players coming into the market, I, I sincerely hope that is the case. Uh, and and I've said and I said earlier on that we we spend. Not every week, but certainly three evenings a, a month. Um, this week, in fact, was was uh, last week was twice on speaking to businesses, mainly in the UK, but who want to build challenger banks that they wanted to model to some extent on judo. Um, I'd love to see more of that in Australia because the the big prize I, 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 I'm, we're not afraid of competition, and the more the more entrants that are attacking 
85% of the market that's concentrated in amongst the major banks, then the better. Um, because I think the more competition, the more choice for customers, the better it is for the economy. And so new players coming in, be that in a business model format that looks like judo, be that in a fintech format or be, a, be that in any other type of format, that are there to service the SME economy, hugely, hugely encouraging and welcoming of that development. There's, there's a big prize to be had here. As, as I mentioned earlier, it's a hugely profitable system. Uh, it's lacked competition. The SME economy has been really poorly looked after by, by the major banks in particular. Um, and so the more new entrants that we can have, um, the better. And so very, very supportive of that. That's a huge achievement, Joseph. Now, look, I want to ask you, in conversations we're having with government and stakeholders, we've referenced the banks as the shock absorbers of the crisis. And we're saying that the smaller lenders, the specialised lenders, they're the pistons of our recovery. What do you think about that? Oh, no, I, I, I think it's a great um, way to describe the role of the smaller lenders. Um, you know, they, you know, we, we need a, a diverse and highly competitive industry. There is no question about that. And we've not had that to the degree to which small businesses in particular deserve the choice that comes with competition. So I think that the, the, the firepower that can come from, you know, smaller lenders who are specializing on certain segments of the market can in aggregate be a huge force for good in the recovery that will, um, that we're all hoping and I'm confident will happen. As an organization that deals directly with SMEs, James, I mean, what has Liberty been doing to support this segment of the industry through this really turbulent period of economic, social and community distress? So, I mean, it's just been harrowing to be at the forefront of seeing the economic consequence, the fallout of the COVID pandemic. And so many families, so many people, so many customers have been really adversely impacted by that. We've always tried to make it our business to maintain really strong rapport with our customers and to make sure that they know that we're here for them in times of need. If you, you can appreciate that by taking this sort of free thinking approach and helping customers that fall outside the sort of mainstream right from our very first customer, we had to. It was just sensible for us to set ourselves up to make sure that when things didn't go to plan, because from time to time, things don't go to plan. We were there to have those really helpful conversations with our customers and to try and help them make the right choices through those challenges. And that kind of goes back to some of the comments we had before about recognizing that we're the ones with the experience and with the wealth of knowledge and who understand the implications of some of these financial decisions, you know, better on average than our customer base. So it's all about contact for us. We make ourselves very available to our customers. We encourage them really strongly to engage with us at the very first signs of any sort of distress or stress in their financial circumstances. We try to help them make good decisions to sort of manage their way through in partnership with us so that ultimately we can all sort of come through this in better shape than we might otherwise. And, and I have to say, when I look at some of the numbers in our portfolio compared to some of the stuff that's floating out there, I feel quite proud. I feel very proud of our team in, in doing a really good job in providing that assistance and that support to our customers. And I'd add, Diane, I think it's important. It's not just financial support that we provide. You know, we make services, mental health services available to our customers as well, because the implications of this fallout on our community are really severe in lots and lots of ways beyond finance. And so we try to be very holistic 
in our engagement and not just about the number and the contract and the repayment, which so far has worked to largely our customers' better outcomes, which obviously then also helps our long-term sustainability. And Joseph, how are you looking ahead? What's the longer-term strategy while dealing with the immediate challenges? Are you willing to share that gold with us? Uh, yeah, well, we've got a very clear vision for that. The first um, two to three years of Judo was about establishing the business, getting the banking license, proving that we could deliver on the promise and on the vision that we saw, and building, you know, building, as I mentioned earlier, building a, a new bank from a PowerPoint. So everything about the organization is new. The te- our, we're a cloud-enabled technology platform. All, all of our technology sits in the cloud. Um, we're focusing on artificial intelligence and how we build an artificial intelligent or machine learning component to the way to our decision making. We're always going to have human judgment in lending in SME because of the market information and efficiencies that exist in the SME market. But building the model that we set our sights on three years ago, we're very close to doing that. I think that we'll be largely completed there. Uh, by March, April, and, and by, the, by that time, also we will we'll have raised more capital. We have raised over a billion. We will have raised over a billion dollars of equity from investors um, uh, that will, that continues to underpin our growth. So then, when we kind of look to the future, there's two things that we 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 want to do. We want to continue executing on the core strategy of being. Um, an SME challenger bank. We, we are delighted with the traction, both in terms of customers and in terms of people who want to come and work at Juro. Could not be happier with that. But we also believe that we can build a world-class SME bank. Not not the biggest SME bank. Clearly, that that's not something realistic. But building a, a bank that is world-class, that other people around the world will say. If you want to build an SME Challenger Bank or you want to transform an SME Challenger Bank, then the model you should look to is Judo. Uh, and certainly, we, we are regularly used as a reference point by people in other markets um, as quite a unique business, not a, not a fintech in the pure sense, um, but a, a mix of traditional relationship banking enabled, not defined by an uh, cutting-edge technology and that highly efficient operating business model. So world-class, and that may sound like quite a lofty um, ambition, but it's one that we believe is very much uh, there for us to achieve. Uh, It's a two- to three-year view, but that's what we're spending a lot of time thinking about. Um, You know, how do we take what is now a very, very good business and make it a great business, Uh, not, not just in the context of the Australian market, but seen as a benchmark by others in other markets. Having said that, Judo Bank will always be an Australian-New Zealand-based bank. So we're not thinking of going overseas, but we will build technology capability, particularly around machine learning, that would allow us to offer other banks and other new entrants and other markets a platform that would significantly fast-track their development. So James, Joseph was just talking about sort of the macroeconomic and the microeconomic implications of where we are at the moment in terms of the crisis and economic recovery. And as a sector, as a a large contributor to the economy and a platform for the economy, 
How do you look at embedding longer-term strategy? As a leader of this industry, how do you keep your eye on the immediate challenges but also the longer term? I mean, we try to be really consistent with our corner pieces of what it is that we're trying to do. So our purpose is, you know, quite enduring, our vision, our values. You know, we try to be really clear as a team about what we stand for and what it is that we're seeking to do. And then as we've talked about, we put a lot of emphasis on learning. And that's, you know, from an individual perspective, as well as from an organizational perspective, to consistently be running experiments to better understand how the current environment is impacting our customers and us so that we can plot a path through. And I sincerely believe we get better at it every year. And so in many ways, I'd say what we sought to do when we started our business 20 odd years ago hasn't changed a lot. We just do it a lot more and a lot better through lots and lots and lots of practice. And we've managed through some pretty big surprises. You know, we were here in the GFC and we managed through that. We've got our team and almost all of our customers through the COVID pandemic at this stage with more traction to come. And really it's about fronting up every day and doing what you do well and then knowing that you haven't done it well enough yet and doing it better still and better still and better still. And I think if you've got a good purpose and I'm I think we do, then I think the rest of it really takes care of itself with lots of learning and lots of practice. So speaking of doing it better, James, I wanted to ask you about B Corp. Apparently, Liberty is the first non-bank in Australia to be B Corp certified. Can you explain to our listeners what that is and what it means and why it's important? I think it's got something to do with high standards of social and environmental performance, right? Yeah, you're spot on. So B Corp or B Corporations are companies that put equal value on purpose and profit. And it's the purpose that is perhaps different to the assumed position of many companies that profit is the major sort of focus and motive. And it's a terrific way for any organization to be able to have a framework that allows them to sort of independently and objectively measure their contribution to the community. It looks at things like governance and workers and community environments, customers. So think Corporate social responsibility. B Corp's like a report card for corporate social responsibility. Why did we commit to B Corp and what was the sort of journey? Well, it seemed like a very natural progression for us. When we started the business, we were very focused on just surviving and trying to win customers and make a name for ourselves in terms of being a startup and just getting some traction and really, you know, starting to deliver on our proposition. And back then we talked about this sort of the culture that we had internally was most often compared to being a sort of family culture, you know, this, this sense that you were in it through thick and thin and no matter what came, we were going to be together and that we were irrepressible and we were just going to keep going until we succeeded. All those things that sort of naturally come out of like a family sort of sense of connection. As we started to accumulate a little bit of traction and start to diversify our business and get a little bit of success and, you know, start to really realise, I suppose, in our vision in some ways, We stopped talking about family internally with regard to our culture and started talking about community. And it was a very conscious shift of mindset. You know, we said, you know, yes, we've got a family-like culture, but actually what we're aspiring to be is a community. And and the reason we changed, though, was because in a community, you choose, right? It's often said you don't get to choose your family and some of us get lucky and others don't. And, you know, that happens. But in a community, you choose. You choose whether or not you want to be in the community. You choose how much you want to participate. And the wisdom says you get as much out of a community as you give. There's this beautiful reciprocity around the recognition that we are ultimately as humans, social beings, that we are connected and that the more we give, the more enrichment we get. And so as we 
gathered more success. And as we recognized internally, I'm very proud of our culture internally, you know, something like 90% of our team say that they feel that they make a difference coming to work with us here at Liberty. And I'm, I'm just super proud that that's the case. But as you, as you start to get some success and as you build this fantastic team around you, you your mind naturally starts to then turn to the community outside your organization. And we started to ask ourselves questions about, well, how do we hold ourselves to account in that regard? How do we make sure that we're not just about driving the organizational profit and sustainability, but actually making sure that our practices are appropriately set to do good in the broader community? And B Corp is a great way that we can benchmark our efforts and really hold ourselves to account and make sure that we're making a difference in the communities in which we operate. And that's led us down this terrific journey of financial inclusion. So we were, I think, one of the first non-banks to sign up to FIAP. Also, we're busy putting the finishing touches on our reconciliation action plan in recognition of the traditional owners of the lands that all of our customers and, and our operations are. So we've talked about a number of themes today, Joseph, competitive advantage, people, human judgment. We are both signatories to the Banking and Finance Oath, and I know that that's something that's important for Judo Bank, um, and it's something that you've introduced for that bank. What does it mean to you to be a signatory to the oath? Oh, it's an important commitment to integrity and ethics, and uh, what I would say to professionalism. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Banking and Finance Oath, and I think everybody in the industry who believes in the importance of professionalism and, and integrity and ethics should see the banking and finance with as an absolute um, non-negotiable thing to sign up for. Everybody inside Juro has signed up for that, including our directors. But it's also part of a strong, this is an important thing, it's part of a, a bigger commitment to professionalism. Um, the, the, the banking industry in particular had lost any sense of meaning of professionalism over the course of the last decade and not longer. And we saw that with the Royal Commission with the sort of cultural behavior and conduct that frankly was really embarrassing. When you think about the important role that the industry plays in the economy and the privileges that the industry has been has been bestowed on the industry, uh, it, a bare minimum should be that participants in the industry are professionally qualified in the fundamentals of what it is to be a finance professional or a banking professional. So Juro is very committed to that. Um, we work closely with the people at Finzia. Uh, and, and also with the people at, at the Banking Finance of, we see that these two, Banking Finance of and Infinzia being critical to re-establishing professional standards in an industry that had lost sight of what professionalism meant. Well, on that note, it's been great to talk to you guys, both very passionate about your sector and your organisations. And look, I think there's further conversation to have about how you're going to continue to disrupt. We look forward to seeing how the next phase of your strategies unfold. So thanks for your time. Thanks, James. And thanks, Joseph. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much, Di. Thanks for the time. The future of finance is here. That much we know. Be sure to tune into our next episode, where we continue the conversation on creating change in the finance industry with the people that are making change happen. Let us know what you think. Leave a review or rating and tell us if there is someone you'd like to hear from or a topic you'd like covered that you think will shape the future of our industry. I'm Mel Carpenter, Executive Director, Member Services, and I'm thrilled to have you joining this series with us. If you like what you've heard, head to afia.asn.au to find out more or subscribe via your favourite podcast app.